Hello and welcome to the Banker's latest podcast series, Banking in Transition. I'm James King, the Banker's Europe editor, and I'm joined today by Kieran Donoghue, Global Head of Strategy, Public Policy and International Financial Services at Inward Investment Agency, IDA Ireland, to discuss the outlook for Ireland's financial services landscape in a post-Brexit and potentially COVID-managed world. Kieran, thanks for being here today. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Now, looking at inward investment activity into Ireland through the lens of financial services, what kind of impact did the UK's decision to leave the European Union in 2016 have on that activity? I think Brexit, James, resulted in a significant uh, increase in activity in the financial services space. As you know, the UK's decision to leave the EU created concerns around sustaining market access uh, to the EU for a lot of financial services groups. And many of them started looking at uh, jurisdictions in Europe that they could use to preserve market access. And Ireland was clearly one of the jurisdictions they took a close look at. In terms of Ireland's business positioning as well, in terms of perhaps issues around uh, its common law jurisdiction, its market-friendly operating environment, are these also considerations that have come into play in terms of discussions that you've had? Yes. So in addition to regulatory capacity and capability, the next overriding concern was skills. Would they be able to either relocate existing members of staff to Dublin or be able to hire for key roles locally within the Irish labour market? Their next concern after that would have been cost effectiveness. Uh, They wanted to make sure that any jurisdiction that they selected wasn't going to add um, a huge degree to their costs. They were concerned to preserve connectivity to market and to customers. And then there were softer issues as well around the availability of international schooling, if families were moving, et cetera, the availability and cost of, of real estate. And I think one of the reasons why Dublin um, appeared quite highly or was ranked quite highly in their assessments was both physical, cultural and organisational proximity to London. That was also an important consideration. And looking into the future, Kieran, when we think about the future of perhaps the European Union's financial services landscape, um, we're probably looking at a future which is going to be much more uh, diverse in some respects. We're looking towards perhaps a more multi-locational model with with different hubs specializing in different aspects of financial services. I wondered, is this ultimately a, a negative outcome for the bloc, keeping in mind that it might drive up costs in the longer term across the union? I think it's potentially a negative outcome for the industry to the extent that operating across so many jurisdictions could add significantly to their costs. So I think we need to view the moves of groups both to London, to Luxembourg, to Frankfurt, Paris and Amsterdam as phase one of a process of responding to Brexit. So the groups that have set up regulated entities in those locations now preserve access to the EU marketplace and to their clients. But the nature of the post-Brexit relationship with London, what happens in the marketplace, what happens to the interest rate environment and to fees, et cetera, will probably prompt um, a reconsideration of that footprint over the medium to long term. So we should be prepared for a second phase of Brexit in which this initial response is further adapted. Finally, Kieran, when we look at the future of of the Dublin and London relationship, I know when it comes to this particular dynamic, you've said in the past that uh, 
you're looking at a dynamic of cooperation here between the two the two hubs. Um, do you think that vision is is realistic, um, given some of the friction and and potential competition we might see between between the UK and uh, and the wider European Union? So I think the desire for ongoing partnership and cooperation between Dublin and London London is a laudable goal. And I think given the closeness between the UK and Ireland um, for reasons of history and for culture and for geography, et cetera, I can see policymakers and market participants on both sides retaining very close relationships. But I think as a practical matter, there's no escaping the reality of the UK's third country status. And I think whatever framework is put in place for future partnership and cooperation that will be derived from whatever relationship is put in place between the EU and the UK. So that means the memorandum of understanding that the authorities in the EU and the UK will negotiate between now and hopefully March, and also the future of the equivalence determinations will be really, really important. I think when we reflect on this, it's very interesting that the European Union is attaching significant importance to what it can call strategic autonomy. It wants to avoid a situation where the major financial center within the EU is effectively in a third country, and that's understandable from the European Union's perspective. And then if you contrast that with the governor of the central bank, Andrew Bailey's speech in the Mansion House uh, recently, he talked about the importance of thinking about financial services in global rather than regional terms. So I think those two perspectives will create an interesting creative tension that will have to be resolved over the next number of months and years and that the resolution of that tension will certainly shape whatever partnership and cooperation arrangements are put in place between Dublin and London. I guess as a product of that tension as well, when we look into the future um, and, and the potential resolution um, or the establishment of a more perhaps stable partnership over the longer term, I guess what you're saying here is that that Dublin's outlook and Dublin's future as a financial centre, as a hub for finance, um, appears to be relatively strong, given what you said about the movement of, 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 of groups and firms into Dublin and the interest you're seeing at the moment. Yes. So, I mean, since 2016, uh, more than 70 financial services institutions have selected Dublin as their solution to Brexit. And those groups um, straddle um, investment management, banking, payments, market infrastructure, um, insurance, et cetera. And our pipeline of financial services activity remains very strong, um, notwithstanding the end of the first phase of the Brexit process and all of the challenges that we've observed in the last 12 months as a consequence of COVID-19. So I think we can expect Dublin to become a much larger and much more significant financial center in the European context over the, the next number of years. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Jim. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.